Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 41 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your normal host, Kim Bui Bamani, back at it again with a regular guest. This is his third time on, my man, Off Script. He's back. He's back at it. He's been very busy this offseason covering SWAC sports, uh, the SWAC football media landscape. And today we're going to dive into a couple of SWAC topics. Um, but before we dive into those things, I want to let Scotty uh, introduce himself again, talk about you know, what's been going on in the offseason. I know Oscar's still going strong. He's still rationing up all that. But uh, what's been the most interesting part of really your job, considering the fact that SWAC football season is over, but the recruiting cycle and whatnot is still going strong? Uh, Man, I, man, I, it's my third time. Damn, it felt like my third time. Um, You know, for with everything going on, the recruiting, the recruiting's getting crazy, man. You know, adding Hugh Jackson, having Dion. The five-star Travis Hunter coming into Jackson State. I mean, if you're not in recruiting for SWAC, you know, it, it's just you're not you're not involved as, as heavy as you have to. Now, to me, I don't like to get too much into it because it can really go down a spiral. You, I mean, you literally won't you you have to keep up with all the updates and things like that. So I don't even try to do all that. I just try to get the you know pluck out the big type of news and still Captain Petty over here, starting smoke. You know, what I'm saying Pettyville Records. That's how I get down. Yeah, man, it is how you get down. Before we dive into the topics, man, I got out of this conversation. You and Jackson State fans, the love-hate relationship continues. Um, I know at this point uh, you get a kick out of trolling, but I know there's an agenda behind it. A lot of it has to do with the fans at times being a little bit, how do I put it, too dense when it comes to having topics about what the football landscape truly is. Describe how that love-hate relationship has intensified the past few months to be honest and not just with the fans um uh even cats that really work for jsu sports uh you know the guy that you had driscoll and prom that relationship is its own entity as well so really describe really that up and down roller coaster so far and how have you enjoyed it or what have you not enjoyed about it to this point i have to be honest with you at first when it first kind of started getting rocky it kind of surprised me because you come into this not thinking that people will, will take football in my analysis of the game as a personal attack on me, you know, like they will take what I'm saying football wise. And then they'll say, Oh, you don't know this. or you're a clown, this, or you, you know, it'll come back personal. And that's where it kind of threw me off because I mean, I'm pretty thick skinned. It doesn't really get to me, but it's just after a while, you're kind of like, bro, like it's not that serious. So I kind of start seeing the writings on the wall. So I, I kind of, it's either one or two things. You either, you see the fight or flight. And for me, the way I'm from, I'm going to shoot back. And when I shoot back, I'm I'm bringing every bullet to the battle. So that's how that happened with the fans. And with Dion and Driscoll, Driscoll, you know, there's nothing personal there. I just didn't like how he moved and it bothered me um, in certain aspects and how he how he would reference to certain kids that I try to reach out to for interviews and things like that. It just didn't sit right with me. And, and Dion is Dion, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, we see eye to eye on certain things and we don't see eye to eye on certain things. But I'll tell you one thing for me, his celebrity status is never going to not make me not make me challenge him. And I think that's what people have a hard time understanding there. You know, they'll say he made you or he built your channel or all these, that and third. But, you know, at the end of the day, I always am grateful for the interview that Dion is that Dion gave me. But at the same time, he didn't build my channel. I had to come out here every single day, come up with topics, be creative you know, be me and bring in the people. If if I never did another show after Dion, 
I wouldn't be where I am right now. You know what I'm saying? So it goes both ways. So once again, I'll never dismiss it, but I would never come out and say that if it wasn't for Dion's interview, I would still not be the, where I'm at today. I'll have, I would disagree with that. Yeah, really three things I want to touch based on what you said. For starters, I've had a relationship with Driscoll before. He was my uh, practicum teacher. And for lack of a better term, he's flaky. So I understand, like, y'all relationship, the way you describe that, that's pretty much up his alleyway in terms of how he is around people. So I wasn't really shocked that it went there. Um, the Dion bit, when guys kind of come up to you and be like, yo, Dion made your channel, so you have to be loyal to him anytime you cover Jackson State. The fact of the matter is, and I feel like a lot of people haven't heard your full story on that topic, and you to you've talked about it one time, really. So if it's one of those first come, first serve type things, Dion, in my opinion, tried to put you in his pocket. He wanted to really control your operation. You refused for that to happen. And because of that, you've kind of divulged and really did your own lane and have kind of been what you are so far. And it's been pretty revolutionary, to say the least. And so I think if people understood that aspect, maybe this whole their perspective that they come in, that would be different. And or maybe it won't. Maybe maybe a lot of people is just like, you know, if I had that opportunity and Dion was going to put me in my pocket, I'd ride with it because it's Dion. So you decide to pave your own path. And because of that, you know, some people have they level of resentment or their own ideology behind it. But that's what I think there. And then with the Jackson State fans, I'm going to be honest, like JSU has been so bad in football for like years. So <laughs> the fact that they're good, <laughs> they're good now. It's, it's, it's a weird thing for fans. And so most of these fans have never went to Jackson State. They probably don't know what J.R. Lynch Street is. They probably never stepped foot on a campus. So a lot of it's like beyond celebrity. But then there's people that they've been watching Jackson State football for a while, and they haven't been good um, really since 2008 on a consistent basis. So this is new. And because of it, there's this undying loyalty to Dion because he brought JSU back on a map. So they'd never say anything critical about him. But for me, going to the school and knowing what Dion is and knowing football, uh, I think personally Dion isn't that good of a coach. So I'm intrigued to see how he's going to be able to coach up all this talent that he's brought in because the swag as a whole has gotten better because they're doing the same aspects in terms of recruiting and getting talent. And I mm -hmm. felt like there was a few teams in the swag that they had talent. Well, they, they had the coaching, but they just didn't have the talent. They just didn't have the personnel to match with Jackson state that will change this year. And if Dion's just going to continue to roll out his, his talent and not make the requisite adjustments to help this team evolve, then I think there's going to be a lot of disappointing moments. So, um, really, all that is all that. Uh, you say, know, let me I, say, I get, let me yeah. say one, um, with the put in the pocket statement, I, I get what you're saying, but I want to clarify that just a little bit, right? So it wasn't that he was trying to put me. I was trying to, I was trying to keep that relationship as good as possible, not not adding friction. You know what I'm saying? So not being myself, not challenging things, and I felt like I was going more out of my way to try to be nice than just calling it what it was. And then I was like, I can't keep doing this because this isn't who I am. I'm naturally a rebel. I'm naturally, uh, I'm a, I'm a questioner. I ask why, or I want to challenge things that I don't think is right. So to me, it, it was, if that's the case, if I feel like if I can't do that, if I can't be who I am, then I'd rather not even have the relationship and then just do my own thing and build my own stuff. And, and you know, as they say, if you build it, they they shall come. They shall come indeed. And uh, that's all 
perfect point that you hit right there. Uh, moving into the topics that we have today, uh, we got to touch base on our respective football teams. I'm going to start with your Cowboys first. They were in the playoffs. They lost. Um, actually had you guys winning. Y'all didn't win. Um, and we're going <laughs> to, I didn't win. So I was kind of disappointed on that one, but, uh, we're going to touch base on the coaching maneuvers that they've kind of made by not making Dan Quinn's coming back. I think that was the big one that broke out a couple really today. Um, he didn't get the Denver Bronco job. They gave it to Nathaniel Hackett because it's clear Denver is making moves to try to get Aaron Rodgers. So get Aaron Rodgers people in there. Aaron could go to Denver. So Dan's back for now. Mike McCarthy's still the head coach. We'll see what Kellen Moore, what happens there. He's uh, one of the final three candidates for the Dolphin job. So there's a chance he can get the Dolphin head coaching job and you'll have to look for an OC. But more, in my opinion, has been vastly overrated. I know there was this huge love affair with him being this offensive mastermind that was up next to get a head coaching gig. But it's pretty clear he underutilized, in my opinion, Tony Pollard and C.D. Lamb. But we're going to get to those guys later. We're going to go bait by bit when it comes to these players. Dak Prescott had a solid season. He really did. Almost 4,800 yards passing, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. His PFF grades were astronomical. Passing grade was 83.5. Offensive grade was 82.4. He had a career-high 34 big-time throws, and he was really good down the field. The, the knock on Dak has always been dink and dunk. Um, his passing grade on deep throws was 94.9. 26 of his 34 big-time throws were on shot plays. But in the postseason, he sucked. He, he wasn't good. Uh, he completed only 23 of his 43 passes, only had a 61.5 passing grade, and really had more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws. So with you, Scotty, as a Cowboy fan, are you comfortable with Dak being your franchise quarterback moving forward in the context of you feel with him at the helm, you're just maybe a coach or a couple of players away from breaking through in the postseason? Okay, so let me let's let's go. Let's take this all the way down to the minute, right? I was never a Dak Prescott fan. Absolutely. I've never uh the first year, the 13 and 3 year, I was like, oh, okay, cool. But after that, I was never I wanted to go back to Romo because I felt Romo was more of a offensive explosion. He he elevated players around him because of of his of his style and the way he played. Now that's neither here nor there, but let's stick on the subject at hand. I knew, and I know my Cowboys, it always starts with Kellen Moore's play calling. If it, it always starts there. When I watch the first and second quarter, if I see foolishness start to arrive, I say, I tell my friends all the time, we're going to lose. Because the play calling, he does not understand setups. That's the, prig- that's, that's the thing with me. Okay, so I'll give you this. Jason Garrett was predictable. Kellen Moore is not creative. All right, so... I'll say that again. Jason Garrett was predictable. Kellen Moore is not creative enough. And what I mean by that is, is sometimes creativity doesn't even have to be reverses or throwbacks. It's just how can I get my player in position to make plays? What can I do to get CeeDee Lamb the ball in these next three these next three plays. If it's a wide receiver screen, if it's a fake wide receiver screen, go route. If it's um you know, 
a handoff, a jet sweep. Like that's the creativity you want to see from an offensive coordinator to get your best players the ball. And you see it from an Eric B enemy when he does the shovel pass to a Travis Kelsey. You see it from Eric B enemy when he throws Tyreek Hill a short screen and he takes it 10 or 15 yards because you know sometimes I just got to get you the ball the quickest way possible. So that second thing is, is to me, Dak being a $45 million man, bro, if you can't make audibles at the line of scrimmage to put your players and receivers at the position to make better plays. What are you, what are we paying you $45 million for? What are we doing? And this is my biggest knock. Josh Allen ran a power sweep at least seven times against Kansas city and even against um, the Patriots. Dak Prescott was a running quarterback at Mississippi state. How is he not doing Man, listen, how is he not doing quarterback sneaks? How is he not doing quarterback powers? How is he not doing these things? I don't care if you were injured. Listen, my boy, we need you to be an asset because that adds a dimension to the offense that we don't have. And you're absolutely right. If anybody sees that Zeke Elliott is still a starting running back, they're smoking crack. If you can watch the film and say Ezekiel Elliott is a starting running back in the a three down starting running back in the National Football League, you're smoking crack. He is not that guy anymore. If you want to have him on first down, if you want him to come in on third down, pass protect, get a third and two, that's cool. But Tony Pollard should be starting because he's more explosive. And if I'm being even, and I can go even deeper than this, Corey Clement should have been the backup. So if we really get in that deep, Zeke should have been spotty work at best because he had an MCL sprain or whatever. I don't want to hear all that. It should have been in the playoff game. It should have been Tony Pollard and Corey Clement. And you bring in Zeke whenever you need like pass protection, something like that. That's how I'm feeling about that. But man, Dan Quinn, thank God Dan Quinn staying because he was doing his thing. But man, the rest of them Bamas. Mm. You, you really hit it on the nail uh, for starters. On the Dak ass, but I think Dak is too much of a yes man. He's too he's too too humble. And what I mean by that is he's gonna go by the book. If the coach calls a play, he's gonna follow that play to a T, whether it's good or not. The audible aspect is an important perspective that you're bringing to the table because when it comes to making audibles and whatnot within an offensive system, by the time you kind of get to the end of your rookie deal, that should be routine, especially in an NFL system where everybody's grabbing inlets of the college game and bringing it to the pros. But the biggest thing you hit on was why isn't Dak Prescott being utilized in the ground game? He, he was a dual threat coming out of Mississippi state. And, and yeah, with the Josh Allen bit, I'm quick to, to realize eventually Buffalo is going to have to get some aspect of a bigger running back to prevent Allen from hitting the Cam Newton wall, but they're yeah. using his dual threat ability within the offense. Dallas hasn't really done that at all. Ever since Dak has improved as a passer, it's like, his rushing ability has been to the wayside. Um, with Kellen Moore, you said it best, but I have an ironic twist to it. He's creative in terms of not utilizing his stars. He's creatively not <laughs> utilizing them at all. Like that's that's what he's creative at. CD Lamb broke out this year. And it was a big deal coming into the season because I play fantasy all so all the fantasy sites were like CD will break out this year. And technically he did. He had 11,000 yards receiving. Um, and he even caught 80 of his 120 targets. But he had double-digit targets only four times this past season. Seven or more targets, just five. And, my, and my question is, 
do you feel like they got to do more featuring him? You kind of touched base on it in terms of they got to have a CD possession. And this is coming from a guy as a Saints fan. Sean went out of his way to feature Kamara and Thomas on multiple drives and a half. Like, all right, this is go, this is a drive where I'm going to get my man Thomas involved. I'm going to get Kamara feeling involved. And with Kellen Moore, he went out of his way to feature Zeke, who's not the same guy anymore. He went out of his way to feature Amari Cooper, and we're going to get to him. He still cries and complains about not getting enough targets. And it's it's just it's clear that Pollard and Lamb are your most explosive players on offense. They got to be on the field more. They have to be utilized more offensively. What do you feel about that? Man, listen, you are preaching to the choir, bro. Like, I'm serious. Pass the collection plate because let me tell you, CD, like, this is it's the same thing I used to say about Jason Garrett with Des Bryant. CD Lamb and Des Bryant are one and the same, and people might not like that. CD Lamb is a better route runner, but physical, the way they attack the ball, the way they run after the catch, they're the same guy. So what you have to learn with those type of receivers is you got to get them in the game early and often so you they can get that yak, they can get that swagger. He starts doing the, you know, the slime first down, and he's involved in the game. But keeping him shelled out until the second and third quarter, he only got five targets. I'm like, what? But as a quarterback, it, to me, it, Tony Romo knew, and he says it all the time when he first started in, in broadcasting. He said, right here, I would have to go to Des Bryant because I didn't want to leave him out. I know I'm going to need you down the line, so I'm going to get you involved early. And that was Romo being cognizant of the players that he had. You know Amari Cooper isn't a diva, so he'll take what he can get five you know what I'm saying? You know Michael Gallup is not much of a diva. He'll make big plays. with, But C. Lamb is not a diva, but he's a dog. And with that, you have to feed that. And when Zach is throwing the ball 40, 43 times, 45 times, how is C.D. Lamb not getting at least 10 of that? And I want to go back to one thing that I think your fans and your listeners need to know. Go back and watch Antonio Brown with the Steelers and tell me how they used to use him. So, I mean, they used to... Put, he would have 12 catches in a game like like it was nothing. And it would be Big Ben hit him on quick screens. They would do like they used to do that. I don't know if you remember, but they would have like uh, trips. They would have a trips right. He would be the far receiver. They will motion him and then they would, he would just catch it and throw it to the side. And he would use the two guys and they would block and he would do the rest. That's all you really need to do. That's a run. That's a legit run play. You know what I'm saying? So it's little things like that that. It irritate me, but what I will say, I love me some Dalton Schultz. I know he's probably not going to be able to come back. We probably won't. We probably can't pay him what he's worth, but man, he definitely showed up big for Dak, and he became a security blanket, but to me, it goes back to what you said, him being creative enough not to feature good guys, and then Dak also not being a playmaker and understanding who to go with the ball and, hey, I need my guys to show up right here. Yeah, because looking at this playoff match that they had against the Niners for Lamb to have just four targets and catch one of them for 21 yards, that's not acceptable. But then again, Amari Cooper gets 10 targets, six catches, 60 yards and a score. And so with Amari Cooper, him and Jerry Jones, well, not him and Jerry, more so Jerry to Cooper. Jerry was upset about upset at Cooper. He felt like he wasn't all in for the team because of the vaccine status and he kept talking about how he has to do more, which is understandable. They gave up the picks and whatnot to get this guy. And this was one of his down years with Dallas. This is his first non-1,000-yard receiving season with the team. His lowest, his lowest target share this year, 109. Receiving yards was 929, despite having a career-high nine touchdown grabs. So he's no longer a feature guy on the team, which is expected because C.D. Lamb is coming. He's a dog, like you stated before. Um, how 
do you see Amari being a part of Dallas's future moving forward? Because the way things are situated, Gallup's probably not coming back. Um, yep. CD's going to eventually evolve into the one. And I like Cedric Wilson a lot. I feel like they probably should have used him a little more so he could be your future too. The way Amari is kind of looking in terms of he's injured a lot, he's not really being that consistent focal point within the offense. Do you see a future long-term where he's a factor on this team? Um, let me, because I, I, I want to look at this Dallas Cowboy depth chart real quick, the wide receiver position. Um, let me see here. Uh, do the backups. Cause I like, I like, um, we have Cedric Wilson. Um, I like Malik Turner. I like, I like, he's the one that caught that pass on the coach 30 and he was on the video with the, uh, with the Washington football team. I like Malik Turner. He's speedy. If I'm being honest, I would have took, I wanted to pay Michael Gallup when, when Amari got that money, because to me, I felt, always felt Michael Gallup was more of a dog than Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper, because if you watch their skill set, Michael Gallup will go up and get the ball. That's not Amari Cooper's game. He's focused on being a route runner, a technician. And I think he's a great two. He's not, a, he's not mentally, he's not, he's not a dog enough to be a one. And I never felt he was that guy. So I would have paid, and if I'm being honest, even with the IR, I would pay Michael Gallup. I would because he's probably going to come back. If he did come back, he'll come back on a cheap deal because he's coming off an injury. So you might do a one year with Mike. I would bring CeeDee Lamb back. I would let, I would trade Amari Cooper maybe for a uh, tight end um, because you know you're probably going to be losing him or you can think Blake Jarwin is going to come off, but he's been hurt for the past couple or trade him for a lineman because you know Tyron Smith. But yeah, I will let Amari Cooper go, but I like what we have. In the, and I'm glad you said Cedric Wilson. He has some drops at the most inopportune times. But he is a stretched field guy. Malik Turner got burners. Um, I like Simi Fajico, the, the guy from Stanford. So we have some guys in the in the um in the pipeline that I feel can, if with the opportunity, can take that step. But I think you just need Gallup and Lamb. Like you need, like to me, that should be your one and two. I think that should be your because you're not gonna, unless you go out in free agency and get you a number two that you feel like, you know, maybe a uh a Zay Jones or a, you know, or um, somebody like, or find a T Higgins, you know what I'm saying? In the draft or something like that to balance that one, because you don't want CD lamb to get double teamed every, I don't think he's that guy yet. I don't think he's going to be, I don't ever think he's going to be like a Chad Johnson to where he's double teaming and still find a way open. And I don't think Dak is going to be that comfortable of a quarterback to fit it in those type of holes. So man, it's, it's going to be a very, ter- very, very touchy subject. But to me, you gotta you gotta address the running back situation. If I'm being honest, bro, I would trade Zeke. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I know that's Dak's boy. I would trade him. Um, and I know you're not gonna get much back from him, maybe a third round pick, you know, and a player, but I would let him go uh because he's just not the same. He's just not. Yeah, Zeke and Amari, it's crazy. Two years ago, they were foundational pieces for this football team, and now they're no longer that. And that's that's credit to Jerry Jones. In a capacity because he realized, look, Zeke's my bell cow, but Tony Pollard's in the mid rounds. It's a speedy back that I can incorporate within our offense to give Zeke some some breaks. I don't think he expected Zeke in the middle of his huge deal to fall off, but here we are there. And with Amari Cooper on the field, he realized, look, um, having a having a number one receiver is cool, but you need that second guy just in case the number one gets attention and C.D. Lamb is brought to the table. So now you drafted for these guys' replacements, and now yeah. these guys kind of both need to be replaced, Zeke and Cooper. Um, a, a really interesting stat from PFF. So 
Cooper's highest deep threat rate, 99.3. It's pretty obvious on the Dallas football side. Cooper, he stretches the field now. And I think once it gets to that point, you kind of got to move on because honestly, Cooper's skill set is he's a medium route runner. That's what he does best. He can take the top off the defense. But if schematically Kellen Moore is drawing up concepts to where Cooper's a deep threat in terms of uh, somebody that you got to pay homage to, kind of like a decoy, you're not using him right. His time on the team has come. And like you said, Cooper and Zeke have enough credentials and statistics on the wall to where you can trade them and get some compensation back. Tons mm-hmm. of teams in the league need receivers. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about my Saints. They need some immediately. Um, a, a team could use Zeke, you know, in terms of maybe being a future back or a part of their back system. Seattle's a great example because of the Chris Carson injury. And Rashard Penny's Dang. cool, but he's coming up as well. So Dallas can kind of spin these guys and get some compensation back and build out the rest of their team. And now we're going to get to that Zeke aspect. I mean, he achieved 1,000 yards this year for the fourth time in his career. But like we both said, he's not the same. Um, he had 12 games where he didn't eclipse 70 yards rushing. Um, 670 of his 1,000 yards are after contact. Most of his yards come between the tackles. PFF had this unique stat where, like, a lot of his yards are, like, behind the guards. Really, he's becoming a power back for this football team. No longer does he have that breakaway speed that you see with a guy like a Derrick Henry, who's built like a power back, but Derrick can take it to the perimeter and go the distance. And so now, like you stated, Pollard, he's on the scene, six yards a pop. He had a 90.9 rushing grade. Um, he only had seven carries in the Cardinals and Niners game combined. That made no sense to me. The Cardinals game that you guys lost in the Niners game in the playoffs. Um, and it's pretty clear, like we stated, Pollard, he's the guy. Um, he's had eight games this year. We was have, averaging four yards a carry. And so you stated Zeke needs to be traded and they need to embrace the Tony Pollard error. Is there a way Zeke can stay if Dallas kind of accepts your pride and Zeke accepts his pride as well? And they start off with Pollard being the lead back and just bring Zeke in for some like third and short situations in a run game. Okay. So this is, so you're, I'm, I'm going to go a little off of what PFF, but I'm going to take, I'm going to take you back to this is how much of a Cowboys fan. I think it needs to be a Marion Barber and Felix Jones situation. Right. And, and if, if your listeners don't know, Marion Barber was a dog. Like I love Marion Bar- Mary and the Barbarian. But what happened was is Dallas thought he was a feature back and he did and he didn't do well once they made him the guy. And I think Tony Pollard is the same type of back, but just as a scat back. I think if you give Tony Pollard 12 carries, five catches, maybe, you know, like 12, four five, you know, out the backfield, he needs to get about 15 touches, 15 to t- 20 touches a game. If that means screens, sweeps, tosses, you know, off tackle, whatever, that's how you keep him a scat back, but you make him effective. Um, so I don't think he should be a 25, 30. No, 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 no. I just think you need to utilize him more in a skill set of a scat back to where you, you it's not an Alvin Kamara situation where Kamara getting 20 carries and 10 catches. You're like, God, man, this thing is crazy. Uh, but I think if you bring it down a little lower, Tony Powers is effective. But I think if I'm being real with you, Corey Clement and Tony Pollard to me is not a bad, is not a bad blend. And if you, even if you, even if you let Z go and you bring in a power back for third and one and third and two type of situations, that's cool. I don't think I'm paying a $90 million guy for a third and one situation, even though I know Zeke going to get it, but it's just like, bro, I'm not about to bring you in for $90 million for a third and one. That don't make no sense. So I like Corey Clement. I like Tony Pollard. I feel like Dallas will F that up somehow um, because that's just what we do. 
and um and then find and we need to go find a running back in the mid or late rounds that they feel can can take a take a load and, and really push the rock because if we're being honest, bro, running backs are a dime a dozen. You can find them jokers in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, and they'd be just as impactful if you find them in the second or the first. It depends on your scheme. It is. And right when you said that, I immediately thought of the 2017 running back draft where you had Kamara, you had Joe Mixon, you had McCaffrey, you had Dalvin Cook. I just named four backs. So you, they're a dime a dozen. It all really comes down to what you're looking for and what type of scheme you want to run. Uh, mm -hmm. The Marion Barber, Felix Jones, uh, comparison I was thinking of that before I even came on the pod like that's probably what Dallas can kind of lean on as something that they remember and kind of mm -hmm. utilize and bring that into their team now another example that I also remember was Chris Johnson and Lindell White when Chris oh, Johnson first came onto the scene uh his rookie year with the Titans uh before he became CJ2K he was the scat bat and Lindell White was the guy the bruiser in those short down situations it worked mm -hmm. perfectly I don't remember if they both had a thousand yards but I remember Lindell White laid the league in rushing touchdowns that year. And so if you can come to Zeke and be like, look, Zeke, the days of you getting 20 carries are over, but over. we'll be able to still give you those rushing touchdowns to where you feel involved enough to where it's like when a year's over, oh, I at least had 10 touchdowns. The touchdowns yeah. will be there. You have the crucial first down carries. We'll still keep you involved, even in the passing game in some concepts, but we got to let the young bull Pollard get some run as well because there were like – games this year when when Pollard got 12 carries he was getting four yards a pop easy and, but there was too many games this year where you get five six seven and I'm like why and then you turn around and look they're still trying to get Zeke off and I think it's some humility that Zeke has to come to um, Mike McCarthy Kellen Moore Jerry Jones they all have to accept the contract no longer defines the man mm -hmm. now you need to evolve the offense around what the man brings to the table and this is why you draft well in the NFL more so than the NBA, you draft to replace guys. And you yeah. got the guys and C.D. Lamb to replace Samari. You got the guys and Tony Pollard to replace Zeke. Now it's time to build a game plan where they can still be assets, but you're going through the youth system now. Um, yeah. Up next, the defensive side for Dallas. Look, uh, Dan Quinn's back. That's great. Phenomenal. Uh, I yeah. thought he brought the best out within that front seven, especially with Michael Parsons and even Trevon Diggs to a degree. But Trevon Diggs, man, he's an all-pro this year. It's deserved. But he struggled. He gave up a thousand yards receiving. It was a tough watch. And it's crazy, right? So <laughs> his PFF grade, his rookie year was 63.9 in coverage. It went up to 65 this year with 11 picks. So that says a lot in terms of he's getting the big plays in terms of getting the takeaways, but he's giving up a lot of yards. So you play receiver. Um, and so as a receiver, I'm pretty sure you learn know about cornerback tendencies and whatnot. What are the two most important things you feel like Diggs can improve on within his game to where he doesn't become, he evolves from the gamble corner into more of a complete, refined, and balanced entity in that secondary? This is a tough one because, in my personal opinion, I felt Diggs should be a safety. I don't think he should be a uh, – his ball skills, to me, should make him a free safety. You let him, let him, let him just attack the ball. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what he wants to do. That's what he's great at. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's my personal. So that's just my little, my two cents. He has to do better on double moves. That's where you're always going to catch, because he's a looking clue corner. Like, you got to understand, like, with listeners and people, when you're watching, when you're watching 
Trayvon Diggs, he is a look include corner. That what that means is is that he wants to play off so he can see the route develop. Because as a receiver, he's a previous, he's a former receiver. I very, first of all came out of Maryland, a very high receiver. So he understands route concepts. He understands breaks. He understands all that. So when he sees something, he thinks he knows what it is. So he's going to want to jump it. Now, the issue and what I try to tell people when they when they bash Trevon is that the safety play over top of him has not been great as well. So even when I understand that I might be in a trail position, I should have safety help over top and the safety curse. It, you know, drops the ball or Donovan Wilson. They don't come in like they're supposed to Malik, all them guys. So, you know, he, he plays linebacker now, but those two guys, when they, when they drop the ball on their end, it makes digs look bad, but you're like, yo, like he's in a trail technique. There should be a safety over the top of him. So it's just little things like that, that I want people to be cognizant of, but you're absolutely right. He needs to work on his double moves. He, under, he has to understand that he can't pick off everything and that sometimes just staying with the DB or staying with the receiver is good enough for him because he has the he has the catch-up speed. He has the ball skills. He has the confidence with the ball is in the air that he, he, he's comfortable. It's just that he has to stop gambling on certain things and just lock in. What's going to help Diggs a lot is he's a smart guy. He film studies. He's prepared. He used to play receiver. So that knowledge never will leave. It never will die. So I think at this point, it's just about refining your instincts and trusting what you see, but being disciplined. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. But hey, maybe best case scenario, he's just the number two corner. So what Baltimore did when they got Marcus Peters is they went out and drafted Marlon Humphrey, who's the more complete corner that could play inside and out. Dallas Let's be real. Now, it, it worked out for him. They got Micah Parsons, but they were this close to taking Patrick Sertan. Maybe we're having a different conversation to where now Diggs is playing a sec. He's playing a, a second receiver, and he could probably get away with gambling and whatnot because you're going against a, de- a decline in talent. But he's having to go up against number ones. And so mm-hmm. 101 targets, that shows that. I think quarterbacks know the better the quarterback play, they realize I can gamble with this guy because my receiver is just as creative and as fundamentally sound that Diggs isn't. So they can sell a, a route that Diggs may see, but then it might yeah. go another direction. Um, on the other side, Anthony Brown is trash, and they have to pivot off of him ASAP. He cost them the Raiders game on Thanksgiving, which ultimately bid Dallas in the back when it came to getting the bro, two seed. Um, no, let, let me cut you off right there. Listen, I was watching that. You were talking about the most heart-wrenching game on the planet? I'm like, bro... They are picking on you and you are constantly getting P.I. Yo, oh, I'm so, man, Cam, I'm so sorry to cut you off, bro. That was the most heart, gut-wrenching game. Oh, my gosh, man, my girl could tell you, bro. I literally, once the P.I. happened, I got up. I didn't say nothing to nobody. I said, let's go. She said, what happened? I said, let's go. Because I was so mad, bro. But go ahead, I'm sorry, finish your point. Oh, God. Yeah, as a Saints fan, I've known of guys like, uh, Anthony Brown, Eli Apple used to be our Anthony Brown, and I've, I've experienced that horribly. He's, he's not good. But with Brown, it's crazy. His PFF coverage grade was higher than Diggs, as bad as he was, 67.1. But it's clear when Anthony Brown was coming up in Dallas, he's really a slot corner. He's like your third, fourth corner on a roster, and he got elevated to the two because Denver took Sertan. I, I think Jerry Jones was sold. I'm going to get Sertan. We're going to have the two Bama corners. 
Brown can be our third because they didn't re-sign Awuzie. They knew, yeah. like, look, Sertan's going to fall to us. Brown can be our nickel. But he didn't. And it's like, okay, we'll get Parsons and just hope Anthony Brown can develop over time. And he just wasn't it. Now, what's going to help Dallas is this is a very deep cornerback draft. All right. You, you've got the likes of Sauce Gardner, McCurry from Auburn, Derek Stingley. You got a lot of solid DBs in this draft that will fall to Dallas. So, in your opinion, I'm hearing from different, I've seen different mock drafts. Some of them have you guys taken N'Kobe Dean, the middle linebacker from Georgia. Would you mm-hmm. rather go middle linebacker to allow Parsons to fully be a full time edge rusher on your defense? Or you're like, bro, we got to get that corner so Diggs can move to two and we can have a legit corner that's complete matching up against the ones every Sunday. Um, okay, so let me give you the full spectrum for me. I like Kelvin Joseph a lot. Um, I think he can hold his own. Um, I don't mind getting another corner, if I'm being honest. I don't mind getting two corners because in my mind, um, I really want Diggs to go to free safety. Like, I think he would be a monster at free. His range is just too stupid, but that's never going to happen. But I still think it should happen. Um, And if it does happen, just know what you said first. So so my thing is this, though. I I think we definitely need a linebacker. And I and and this is I, I think. Keontae Hampton might be a cowboy. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I just don't know that. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, I think he might be, you know, either undrafted or six or seven round pick by the Cowboys because um, he's a very smart guy. But I think we definitely need a linebacker because of the simple fact that the matter is not as early as the first round because Leighton Van Der Esch is a, a walking injury. He is a walking injury. I'm sorry. Like he, he I mean, is great instincts, you know, pretty good, pretty good player, but he, he's just always hurt. And Michael Parsons, man, this boy, you got to get him. You got to get him away from covering like it, like he's not bad at it, but it's just like he's more effective going after the quarterback. You know what I'm saying? At, at the line of scrimmage. So I don't know how Dan Quinn's going to keep that going up. But um, and I hope they bring Keanu Neal back. I like I like that when they brought him in as well as uh. Malik Hooker helping keep him on the staff as well. So I definitely will go corner first round. Um, I think you need to go corner and receiver or corner corner. I don't mind that. Uh, or or from being real rich, you left tackle corner. I think you definitely need lesson, man. It's only so much that uh Tyron Smith can take. Oh, we need a left guard. Oh my god, that boy Connor Williams was getting marked, bro. Yeah, we need a left guard, bro. He, oh God, he's horrible. And we need a center. And and Fredericks and Fredericks retiring on us the way he did really, really, really hurt us because we expected him. We just gave him a contract. We expected him to be there another five years. So we got to get that guard and center position locked in. Um, oh God, both of them Bamas are bad. McG- Connor McGovern and Connor Williams, both of them Bamas are bad. And um, and all we need is a, another piece on the opposite side of Zach Martin. If we can get another Zach Martin, oh, we could be deadly. But so those are my those are my things we need in the draft. So I would definitely probably, if I'm being honest, I'll probably go corner guard, um, linebacker. That would be my priority right now: corner guard and linebacker. Yeah, for Dallas, uh, the offensive line aspect is a unique one. Uh, yeah, Connor Williams is horrible. He, he never was that guy coming out of Texas. The way he was built. When I saw him, I'm like, man, he kind of looks smarter playing the O-line. And he continuously gets bullied all the time. I think Dallas was just banking on we, he can be our one-week link and we have four studs everywhere else so they can kind of make up for him. But like you said, when Fredrickson died, 
that no longer can be the case. So now you have poor interior line play at the center and guard spot. So that's hard to hide. You know, you, you want to pick one or the other, not both. A uh, corner, like I stated, it's deep enough. I think Dallas is going to take a corner first and make a flush of 10. I think they've, they do have Nashawn Wright. They do have Kelvin Joseph, who I think eventually could become third and fourth corners in the league. But you need somebody opposite Diggs right now that's a little bit more fundamentally sound to hold that aspect down. And like you stated with Vander Ash, he's basically Sean Lee part two. So you have to kind of bite the bullet on that aspect and find a replacement for him. Uh, Nicobe Dean's cool. My problem with Nicobe Dean is he looks a little small. He's like six feet, and I don't know if he's the most sound in space. He's he's physical. He's trying to make the impactful hit, but they do need to figure out the linebacker spot because I agree, Parsons is Alden Smith, so you need to play him like Alden Smith. He's a pass rusher. It's good that he's versatile, but long term, you want him to be a guy that can rush the passer. 25 to 30 times a game and terrorize somebody else's quarterback on Sunday, Monday or Thursday. It's like from an NBA to Zion Williamson, like it's cool that Zion is that size and he can fly. It looks like a freak of nature, but long-term you want him to kind of fill out his body and find a certain role that will be transferable long-term for his career in the NBA. That's Parsons on that end, but Dallas, they're in a nice spot. Um, Their division's pretty weak, but you know, they got to hit because you can't just really hang on the fact that your team is your team now in terms of talent. And that's going to ride out because Giants look like they're going to be better. They got the GM from Buffalo and they got Dable as they head coach. They're going to be a lot better than they've been historically. Philadelphia, they're building something over there, not sold on Jalen Hurts. But you got to understand that your division is only going to be down for so long. I think Back. Dallas, this draft is important because it can allow them to get over the hump because the NFC as a whole moving forward. It looks weak. I don't, you know, Rodgers is probably not going to be a Packer. Brady's going to retire. Um, so, even if the Rams get to the Super Bowl, um, as talented as their roster is, they have a lot of Asian guys. And do I trust Stafford to do it all over again? I don't know. So this is a perfect opportunity for Dallas to maximize their ceiling for the next two years in a wide open NFC. They just got to hit home in the draft. And in my opinion, get rid of Keller Moore or hope he gets a job. So because of because if he's out of there and you bring somebody else in that knows how to play call, that offense can take the next step. Absolutely. Absolutely. Up next, uh, going to talk about my squad, the Saints. And I'm going to really pitch the question off to you, Scotty. When you saw Sean Payton. Come on to the Cowboys. Come on to the Cowboys. When you saw Sean retire. What were your thoughts off rip in terms of like, wow, you really did it. And then obviously you're a Cowboy fan. You had to have thought, oh, Dallas, oh, we got to hop on that ASAP. Uh, <laughs> what was your thoughts? Man, when I saw the step away, I was like, he is definitely coming to Dallas. I was like, yo, we're, we should be packing Mike McCarthy's bags up tonight. I was like, and get Sean in there. I, bro, Super Bowl. So, like Super Bowl, bro. I, listen, I, I, like, bro, I'm sorry. If we would get Sean Payton, it's Super Bowl. Like, I'm really because I, I really think with his play calling, he's going to put players in the right position to plays, and he's going to get a. He's going to find. He's going to use Tony Pollard the right way. He's going to get more players like Tony Pollard, more like Alvin Kamara and Tony Pollard and those types. So he's going to look for those guys. And and let's be real. 
Sean has never really need all world receivers to get the job done. If we're being honest, Michael Thomas is not this all world guy. He's a great route runner. He's, he's he has very tough hands, very solid uh, catcher. What the dude from Hofstra you, you guys used to have, um, Willie Sneed. Like y'all, y'all never really had like all pro, you know, like what I, I mean, I don't know Michael Thomas was an all pro, but I'm saying like, you know what I mean? Like a Randy Moss or a, Jamar Chase or you know some just like transcendent talent at receiver it's you the tight end Jimmy Graham you know what I'm saying that's probably been the most transcendent player if we're being honest that uh Sean Payton has had in his time and Reggie Bush but you know he was a, more of a specialty guy but so man hell yeah come on I, w- I was like man Jerry can't f this up bro I was like he f's up a- listen let me tell you what let me tell you tell you let me tell you what I do every morning I wake up every morning, I check ESPN and I see if Jerry Jones is still alive. And then I'm like, and then, and then I, I close my phone because you know how ESPN do. They got the picture of the top story. So I just see if he's on. If I'm like, if Jerry Jones on the top story, that means he's dead. And then we go. It, the, 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 the curse is over. We're going to be good. So that's that's literally what I do every morning. I wake up, I check ESPN and see if he's alive. And that's wise, because as long as he's alive, I don't really see you guys maximize your chances. However, with Sean, I was actually one of the rare, rare fans that was happy that he was gone. Because I felt like the last three years he declined. He had this undying loyalty to Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Don't get me started on them dudes. Oh, my gosh. They're why we don't have another Super Bowl. So what I what I think is this with Sean. I think he's either for the next two years, he's not going to coach. But I think he's going to wait for the Dallas or the Charger job to open up. He's going to wait for the Dallas job to open up because he's always been linked to Dallas. He's got a home there. He lives in the Texas area. Um, there was this report that came out. I don't know how true it is. The the um, the season after we lost to the lost to the Rams in the NFC Championship game, Dallas made a pitch to get Sean, and Saints were going to trade Sean to Dallas. But then Anthony Davis wanted out, and so the city, you know, Mickey Loomis is like, I can't do this to the city. Like, we lose AD and Sean, so we're going to renege the Sean thing. He should have did the Sean thing. I mean, come on, bro, because here's the thing with Sean. Like, Jerry runs everything. So I feel like if Jerry and his son continue to draft and shell out contracts, I think you'll save Sean from himself because in New Orleans with a lot of people, and you might know this, Sean Payton was the coach and the GM. He dictated who got contracts. He dictated who stayed on the team. He dictated who didn't. He prioritized some guys over some other guys. I'm like, why? I I felt like we paid Latavius Murray all this money. We didn't run Latavius Murray enough. All right, Michael Thomas got off. That's great. But we got rid of Brandon Cooks because he wanted to protect his man, Drew Brees, from the fact that Drew can't throw it down the field no more. So we can't add a speed receiver still on the team. So let's get some guys that are good in space agility-wise in the short intermediate route. So if Sean just coaches and you guys continue to have that, you know, owner-son dynamic with the GM aspect, you're fine because with the talent you guys have, Sean is going to scheme up and make sure C.D. Lamb leads the league in receiving. He's going to make sure Tony Pollard has – 50 to 60 catches and runs for like, he's going to utilize the running backs and receivers very well. It just really ultimately comes down to the power dynamic. Like if he's just there to coach, it's going to be fine for Dallas. If he's there to coach and control stuff, what's going to happen is he's going to pick three favorites. It always happens. He's going to have three favorites on the team and he's going to keep those guys a little bit too long and sell the fan base 
oh, I really, I really like them. They're gonna turn, they're gonna break out. He did it with Taysom Hill. He was like, Taysom Hill gonna be the next Steve Young. I'm like, no, he's not, bro. Why is he on this team? And then gave him that big contract. Gave him the bread. Now, granted, the Saints beat riders did a very good job to cover face by saying, well, he got the contract, but it's voidable. So we can avoid it and help us get under the cap. But I'm like, hey, here's something that's better than voidable. Not given at all. Why does he have a contract? Why is he getting paid more like the, the numbers? Why is he getting paid more than some running backs and receivers on the team that deserve it? Only guy that should get that much money that he got, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. That's Alvin. it. And then yeah. Ramchek and then Armstead on the other side. And so yeah. that's my biggest thing there. So when the Saints got rid of Sean, I was like the only one online. I was like, finally, we're going to be good. Saints fans was killing me. It's like how Jackson State fans be to you, right? Like you say one thing and it's like, ah, you're a hater. I'm like, bro, like I'm just analyzing what I see. And so mm-hmm. here's the guys that the Saints are quote unquote interviewing. Uh, and I want to see your response to them. So just Dennis Allen, the defensive coordinator for the Saints. He used to coach the Raiders back when the Raiders were horrible. It didn't work out there because that was during the Jamarcus Russell tenure where they drafted Russell. He flamed out. But he's been a D.C. for the Saints for the past four years. He's the main reason why the Saints are 9-8. and eight. A lot of people are saying, Sean should have got coach of the year. No, he shouldn't. He sucked as a cook. That defense was legit. The defense is why we won nine games. So he he's he's in line. Now, I heard these two names, and they really piqued my interest. Byron Leftwich, they reached out to him to try to see if they can get an interview. But it looks like Byron's going to Jacksonville. However, here's a little sidebar to that situation. So Byron and Jacksonville is a lot until Byron was like, look, I'll come if my man Adrian Phillips, the former Cardinal safety, is the GM. That means Trent Baalke has to resign. Trent Baalke and Shaka Khan are cool. So that's the holdup right now. That's why Leftwich is in the coach there in Jacksonville because he wants his guy in there as the GM. So Saints trying to knock down that door. And another name I heard that's crazy, um, the guy that used to coach the Dolphins, Brian Flores. I would they're, take that. I would they're going to interview him, and it looks like he might get the job. because I, think I would take that. Because Flores was locked in for the Giant gig until, you know, the Giants got the – the GM from Buffalo and they got the once they once he came in, we knew Dable was gonna get the job. Flores brings his own other animal because it'll be like getting Sean again, only a defensive Sean in essence, like a defensive minded guy. He used to be a scout, so he knows how to scout talent. Um, and like I said it before, when Flor- Flores he wants control. That was the issue with Miami. He didn't have control in terms of who he wanted to draft at all. He wanted Justin Herbert. Front office wanted to a tongue of all. Yeah, you didn't know that. He wanted Justin Herbert. And, you know, the front office is like, nah, we've been marketing tank for Tua for a couple of years. We get Tua. And he resented Tua in the front office for that. That's why it didn't work out there. So you come to New Orleans, I'm pretty sure Loomis is going to tell to him, look, you're going to be the de facto 8C and GM. Whatever you want, me and Gail Bitson will sign off the check and we'll make it happen. And then by getting Flores, that probably means they're going to be in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes because Deshaun Watson wants to play with Flores. That's that's been the that's been the run that's been the most unkept right secret the in the football world, obviously. So if the Saints get Flores, I anticipate the Deshaun they're Watson rumors to intensify. And what will happen by doing that is you'll be able to get off the books. Um, the the cap hill that you're in, you can get off that now because you can trade some guys to get Deshaun, open up cap space, all that. And if they get Deshaun. Albeit if his legal situations, you know, solidify. And I think at this point it will be honestly deep down. I think he did that shit. But at this point, 
money talks. So, I mean, he's going to be able to pay and beat the case. But if they get Deshaun there, I mean, they're right back in the mix in the NFC because now you have a quarterback, got to be able to surround him with the regular weapons there. Um, out of everybody there, what coach do you feel like the Saints should go forward towards? And what should their image be moving forward? Because we knew for years they were the offense. And then the last four years, they became more of a defensive-minded team. What should be their brand moving forward in this new decade? I like – man, I absolutely love Brian Forrest. And the reason I, I would shoot my shot for Brian – Byron left, which don't – nah. Because there's there's a learning curve as a head coach. I don't care what nobody talks about. You have there's a learning curve to a coach position. Now I will say him being around BA um probably helped him because BA is real laid back, cool type of guy. So he probably kind of got the feel for what it is, but it does help when you have a Tom Brady. You see what happened when he didn't have Tom Brady, and when he does have Tom Brady, it's two different people. So my thing is I would take Brian Flores, and I, I and this is the one thing I loved about what Brian Flores did. He started trading back. Like he got draft stock. That was his thing. I'm going to get draft stock. I'm going. He went that Belichick trees. Like I'm not about to pay all these players these high absorbent amount of uh, prices. So listen, Saints fans, if he comes, just understand the people that you like be gone because he don't play that. He will trade you. He will. I will get assets for you before. Like Taysom Hill. I know a lot of people would want to see him gone, but he probably be traded. What you need to worry about is him trading Cam Jordan. That's what you really need to be worried about because he's getting up in age. He still has some value and he can probably get a second round pick easy for Cam Jordan. Maybe even a first round pick, depending, depending on the season that he had last year. So be very cognizant of how Brian comes in because he's not buddy, buddy. He's a, on a business mission to get you guys under cap. Well, if you know, if you go with him, he'll get you on the cap and he'll get you some assets, which you got lack of because you were always trading it away. Yeah, I mean, God, I'm like, dang, what is the next time y'all going to I'm like, yeah, stay trading away first round picks. So, you know what I'm saying? So he left the Dolphins in a really good spot in the in draft capital. I mean, they had like, what, four first rounders in like two years. So it's something stupid like that. So, you know what I'm saying? Trade away um, Minka Fitzpatrick. It didn't come back to bite him. Trade away Larry Tum, um, Tumzel. Didn't come back to bite him. You know what I'm saying? So just little stuff like that. So he... He, he, he's going to be he's going to be valuable. And if he is the uh, de facto GM, I, I see you guys doing I, I see you guys making some big, big moves. Yeah, now I'll, I'll be fair. Tunsil did come back to bite him because they did get Austin Jackson. He hasn't transferred at the guard tackle spot. But you're right. When Flores comes in, uh, swift changes will be made. I, I think uh, Cam Jordan's the big one because I'm going to be honest. Before the Buck game, the Falcon game and the Panther game, he was going to finish with like three sacks. Then he went on a binge and got, and was able to finish the year with a double-digit sack season. He's a staple within the team. I'm pretty sure Flores, what he's probably going to do if he gets the gig. Now, by the way, before I continue, I'd be cool with Leftwich or Flores. Now, Leftwich, I get it. A lot of people, when they think of Leftwich, you think, well, Brady's been there with him for two years, and it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady can have a math teacher coach him. I mean, he's going to be fine. Like he, He's Brady. But what people sleep on is the year Jameis went 30 for 30. Leftwich was the O.C., and yeah. Leftwich played a huge part of, you know, Jameis having a career season. Now, granted, the bad side was he also had a career season turning the ball over. So if the Saints go all in with Leftwich, hypothetically, and I think right now the way things are shaking up, Flores is a first choice. But if it doesn't work with Flores and they go in Leftwich, they're telling us they want to ride with Winston moving forward. You get Flores, he's going to open up the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. But before that, he's going to clean capital and help you get closer to some draft capital. I think Cam George's expendable. Daniel, David Onyemata, Malcolm Jenkins, the old head. I think he's probably gone. And another one that people 
people don't want to uh kind of focus on Michael Thomas. I know a lot of people are saying oh, Alvin Kamara. I know a lot of people say Alvin Kamara could get traded. He's not going anywhere. No, I mean, I'm not. pretty sure if, if Flores gets the job, he's like, bro, Kamara, you're going to be here. But whatever quarterback I bring in, you're going to be a staple. Thomas is expendable. Hasn't Facts. played in two years. And I know why he hasn't played in two years is because him and Sean were beefing. And I think the most non-kept secret is they beefing because Thomas sees it. He's like, look, man, we could have had Brady and you kept Drew. You got Taysom out here throwing the football. How am I going to be able to maximize my potential? I ain't about to play for y'all. So that's why he didn't play for two years. So Sean's gone. That quarterback situation is going to get resolved. But it comes down to Flores could look at Thomas as like, you're a good player, but I could get so much more to help rebuild the team into my right. image. But, you know, Kamara's not going nowhere. Lattimore's not going nowhere. Um, you know, Ryan Ramchek isn't going anywhere. I think uh, Ramps, I, mean, I think with um, Flores, when he comes in, he's going to try to keep Marcus Williams. He had a pretty good year at safety. He's going to keep the defensive guys that have talent. Yeah. That's young. Williams, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, those guys are not going nowhere. But the big fish, the old heads, they're probably on their way out. And so for New Orleans, um, you know, you get Flores opens up a whole new can of worms, and now you can start this rebuild. I just feel like it was time because Sean just wore out his welcome. And it really became like, I can't call it nepotism because he's not related to Drew and Taysom, but it was nepotism-esque, kind of like historically speaking, when Andrew Jackson was the president, he hired his whole family tree to be the cabinet. And mm-hmm. stuff was chaotic um, historically um, when it came to being in the governmental position. That's what Payne was doing. It was like, I'm going to pay Drew, I'm going to pay Taysom, bump everybody else. And the team underachieved a lot, but the defense really held it down. So, um, yeah, I, you know, my thing with Flores is this. This is my only issue with Flores. Two issues. One, he's a horrible people person. You know, his whole relationship with two was supremely toxic. It got discovered and leaked out to the media. He was dissing Tua left and right. Like, I think when he played horrible against the Titans, he told Tua to his face, I should have took Mac Jones. Like, you can't you can't say that, bro. Like, even if you feel that in your heart, you know what I'm saying? And I think that was one of the big dividers in him losing the Dolphin job because I'm pretty sure if he told Tua to his face, I should have took Mac. I'm pretty sure he's telling Chris Greer every day. We should have took Justin. We should have took Justin. We should have. And after a while, you're like, man, get out of my face. Especially bro. when like, you see what he's doing. Especially when you see what he's doing. Like, yeah, he's tearing it up. Tearing right. it up. So, you know, with Flores, the people aspect, that's that's the issue. But Flores is probably like, look, that won't be a problem if you let me bring my guys in. He probably always felt like in Miami, I was playing middleman with people that I kind of didn't want. But I had to coach him up, and they're not really my guys. And so if he goes to New Orleans, he's going to control who comes in, who comes out, and then who's going to be the OC. Because if he comes in, those Sean disciples, Dennis Allen, Pete, they gone. So who is going to be the offensive coordinator on his staff? Who's going to promote an offensive ideology? But none of that matters if you're able to get Deshaun Watson. You get Deshaun Watson, he's one of those quarterbacks, Watson, Burrow, Mahomes, Allen. They could play in any system. They're going to be stars. I mean, because they're that talented. So – that's kind of really what New Orleans has to focus on later. If they get Flores, Scotty, where do you see this team potentially being three or four years down the line? Uh, with Flores, depending on if the quarterback situation gets resolved, I could see you back at the NFC Championship. Definitely in, um, definitely in the playoff hunt. You know what I'm saying? Because Matt Ryan is about to get up out of there. Panthers don't know what they're doing <laughs> with, with uh, you know, and then Tampa Bay, you know, Tom Brady might retire. So it, the division could be wide open, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, you bring in somebody like Brian Ford, who's, who's a stabilizer, you, you can definitely make it, you can definitely make a run. 
definitely make a run indeed. And from NFL coaching carousel to SWAC coaching carousel, we're going to talk about um, four programs in the SWAC, different coaches, going to bring different ideologies and what could that mean for respective teams within the conference. Let's start with Grambling. Uh, Scotty, you had the opportunity to interview Hugh Jackson, so you got to really get to know him a little bit before y'all were on live and then during live and then after. He's a part of the program. Uh, he was a former OC with Tennessee State. We saw what he did at Tennessee State with Jeremy Hickbottom, ironically enough, former Grambling and um, got the best out of him in terms of what he provided as a passer and as a runner. Had PFF grades of 76.2 and 76.8 as a dual threat. Um, also was able to run the football 339 yards. And then he had a really underrated running back. And I'm, I'm saying all this because a lot of people didn't really watch Tennessee State like that. They probably saw them play Jackson State. But Hickbottom was doing his thing. And then in the running back, um, the running back, Starling, he was solid. 80.6 rushing grade, 23 10-plus yard gains. He got the most out of an offensive system that coming into Tennessee State was limited. And so mm-hmm. he made sure to kind of zero in on the stars kind of entrance his philosophy and get the most out of them, and they made plays. And so now at Grambling, he brings in his own staff, his own recruiting class, and it really starts and ends, in my opinion, with Kajaya Holloway. What do you feel Holloway can bring to the table for Grambling, and is that potentially a match made with heaven with Holloway and Hugh in terms of being able to take over the SWAC West and be competitors in the conference? Actually, if I'm being 100% honest with you, Cam, I – I can tell you much about Holloway if I'm being real because he hasn't. I mean, if you go, I, I try not to dive too much into high school because at some point in time, you know, that stuff does it translate. Um, and at the same time, what kind of style of system is you bringing? Is he going to bring that two tight end set stuff that he had at Tennessee State with that with the with the stud running back rolling, or is he going to spread it out? I mean, because you see him getting receivers like hotcakes. Every I mean, everybody getting everybody six four, six four, six four, six five. So. We'll see. Um, if I'm being a hundred, if I'm being hundred percent honest with you, I think Maurice Washington is going to be the vocal. I think he's going to be Sterling. He's going to be Sterling for Grambling, Maurice Washington, and I think he's not going to put a young quarterback in a situation to have to throw the ball around the yard uh, like a Shador Sanders did in, in his freshman year. So I think it's going to be a lot of protective stuff to where it's a lot of run. It's a lot of tight end. It's a lot of, you know, maybe some dig and dunk, take some shot, play action type stuff. So we'll see. Um, you know, the OC that they're bringing in is Ted White, former guy from Maryland, spread guy, coached at PV. So I want to see how they blend their style of offenses with Ted White and um, and with Hugh Jackson. So we'll see how that works. Yeah, well, Halloween, I know uh, Blue really likes Halloween. Like he thinks his ceiling is through the roof, and I've seen some stuff on him. You're right. You really can't go off of what he did a little bit at UCLA or high school because he never got the rep at UCLA because of DTR. And then high school is just it's just light years away. And I feel like, honestly, if you're a transfer like Halloween, uh, it's hard to use high school tape because unless you're a high school guy, and we're going to talk about PV later, where like you were in high school four months ago and now you could potentially start as an incoming freshman. Maybe I can judge you off of that there, but you've been on the bench. Um, your skill set may have declined a little bit, may have improved. Um, the mm-hmm. game's changed, so you might have came in thinking college football is going to be played this way and then different staff or whatnot. But I, it's really going to come down to the quarterback. Um, Halloween and and Noah Biden. Now, I'm shocked with Noah Biden. He, he's still there. And I think we kind of all thought deep down when Hugh got the job and brought in Halloween, you thought Noah was like, I'm out. But he's I'm still out. there. He's still there. I follow him. He posts his grambling stuff all the time. He even posted the schedule. So he's interested and invested. So whatever Hugh told him, which is probably, look, you're going to have a chance if you do this, this, and this. What you've seen from Biden, are you convinced that 
well, let's be honest. I mean, obviously you're not convinced he's a long-term answer because he's very inconsistent. But do you see the talents and the elements within his game to where him and Hugh could be a potential match made in heaven to where he mm-hmm. can maybe win the quarterback job? I'll say this. I because I'm I'm kind of interested in this HBCU stuff. So this I feel like it went down. Cause you know a former Grambling quarterback brought Noah to Grambling. He pretty much sent them from New York straight to Grambling. So the guy who sent them probably reached out to the Grambling alums and was like, listen, I sent them there to you. He needs to get a shot. He needs to get his fair shot. You know, if he gets beat out, he gets beat out. But if he he needs the fair shot. So I think that's how it went down. Now, Noah, I like his demeanor. I like his stature. I think he has the potential. I just, I want to see how much spring ball is going to tell a lot. Spring ball, the spring game is going to tell a lot about these players and how much, you know, Hugh can help with, you know, the quarterback situation because he is a quarterback whisperer. So we'll see. I don't have a problem with Noah Bowden because I don't, because Holloway could be just as inconsistent if we're being honest, you know what I'm saying? Like he could be just as inconsistent as, as a Noah Bowden. So um, I think what Noah benefit that Noah has is that he has played college football. You know, he has played and he hadn't played at the power five level, but he has some experience. He can, you know, some of the jitters that he might've, might've had that a Holloway might have, he doesn't have, you know, he can probably feel comfortable and solid. And then at the same time, I'll tell you this, what's the best thing as a quarterback is that neither one of y'all know the playbook. So it's literally a you're starting from scratch. You know what I'm saying? So I think that it's not like Hugh brought somebody from Tennessee State with him and like, yo, that's the like, man, like he knows the playbook. I don't. I think this is probably the one that's going to be the most fair QB battles of all season because they're both starting from ground zero and it's whoever the best man wins. I agree on um, that Grambling bit on Noah's facts because the, the guy's name it kind of leaves me but he was a main guy that pitched him to Grambling and he got endorsements by I think was it Phil or Christian he got he got endorsement by some guys that played in the league I think what I saw from Noah his best game was against Alabama A&M and now that's not saying a lot because Alabama A&M sucked defensively but he, he showed an ability to throw the football pretty well like it's He's a natural thrower of the football. It doesn't look like a challenge. I think it's going to it's going to come down to accuracy. And I think what hurt him last year was it was a quarterback carousel. Um, Broderick Fobbs, I don't think ever rocked with Noah like that. I think he really rocked with Elijah Walker. And it shows up in the stats in terms of Walker was the most productive as a runner and thrower of the football. He fit kind of the dual threat um, option run as quarterback that Broderick kind of walked into with Devontae Kincaid, and then when Kincaid left, he still wanted that kind of element. Now, granted, Kincaid could also throw the, the heck out the football, so that's another element in itself. Um, I think Bod's going to have a chance. Um, the wide-open West Coast system that you said that uh, he was going to bring to the table fits, I think, both quarterbacks' ability. I think Noah was out here playing option football and a system that didn't showcase his passing talent. That's not who he is. So now he'll be able to be more of a spread attack where he can showcase that arm. And he has a pretty good chance because what we know from Grambling, he was going to bring in the offense. That Grambling defense is so good. It was really slept on last year because they were so bad. It's probably, in my opinion, the third best defense in the SWAT. You have Jackson State, you have FAMU, you have Grambling, and they're returning some studs. Sundiata Anderson, he comes back, he's first team all SWAT, um, and Brian Powell as well. So, you know, Grambling defensively, they're going to bring it. They're going to bring it every day. Uh, it just comes down to offensively, can Hugh? 
be able to pick the best quarterback out of the bunch and then stick with him because I thought Fobbs didn't stick with anybody. And that really messed up the offensive cohesion. So out of the two, if you were a betting man, Noah Biden, Holloway, who do you think wins that job come fall? Um, I would have to say Holloway because of the stars. That's that's I, I think I think a lot of fans are jumping on the Holloway just because it's new. Um, and I think, you know, and I and I, I trust Blue. I, I trust Blue's opinion of him. He said he has a high ceiling. So I think uh, you might see that and, and give him a chance. But if if Holloway is any type of consistent, yeah, it's going to be his type. Of, it's going to be his job because I still think at the end of the day, Maurice Washington is going to be the 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 spoon that makes everything go, you know what I'm saying? So I don't think he needs his, he don't need his quarterback to throw for 300 yards. He's going to need 250, 270, you know what I'm saying? Or something around there, two tubs or whatever. So something like that. That's where I would go with. Yeah. I have to say Holloway as well. Um, I, I admire Noah sticking with it because uh, we live in an era where transfer to portal is the man. I mean, it's the thing Real. in college. So when somebody comes in and you feel like it could take your spot, you out. So He's still there. He feels like he has a great chance. I know in his heart, he's probably like, this system fits my passing ability, so I'm going to show out. But Holloway, what I've seen, he's such a dynamic athlete. I agree. If the passing consistency is there, I don't see how he loses his job. I mean, I think it's really, really that simple. Uh, up next, Alabama State. Eddie Robinson Jr. is their head coach, and you killed <laughs> Alabama State, Scotty, for picking a real estate agent with no coaching experience over the likes of Hugh. Hugh could have been at Alabama State. Thanks. And Rod Woodson, who I remember Rod when he was coaching the Cincinnati Bengals secondary. And around that time when he was a coach, Cincinnati had a very nice secondary. He's he's a Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame coach. Rod would have been perfect. So Eddie's there. They don't have their D.C. Travis Pearson because of some scandalous reasons. So they got to find a D.C. there. Um, let's start with Eddie. When you find out he got the job. Was your initial thoughts like, yo, Eddie Robinson, his son, like, like his son coaching? Yeah, um, I, I did. I absolutely did. So when I first got it, um, I was like, I was like, Eddie Robinson. I was like, isn't he dead? So then I was like, okay. So then I'm like, Eddie Robinson Jr. So I'm like, he had a son that coaches? Okay. And then at the last possible minute, I was like, bro, what are we doing, bro? I, man, I'm like real estate agent, bro. Alumni, this is what we doing. The nepotism is real. And then let me tell you, what really hit the fan was when alumni started sending me who they were interviewing. I was like, that's who you, Al, I mean, they were dropping names. Al Poe, Kevin Sumlin. I'm like, all these bambas was up for the job and you went with the real estate agent? Make that make sense. I, I didn't get it. I, I still don't get it. But, you know, for me, I think for him, a winning record is a win. Have you seen their schedule? They, schedule yeah, they, they start off with Howard. That should be a win. Um, and me ask Swag Challenge. Howard was not good last year. But after that, it, it's tough. You play UCLA, that's an L, and, and, and then everything else after that. They really have to figure out the quarterback situation. Defensively, like Gremlin, they sound. Uh, they come to play defensively. Whoever's going to be the D.C., he's going to have those boys playing at a high level. And I want to touch base on the guy that they have, Urshad Davis. He's a stud. So we're going to talk about him as well. They got to figure out the quarterback. Then he played Joe Owens and they played Miles Crawley, you know, Ryan Nettles. 
used to be the guy and then he was very inconsistent. So they really got to figure out the QB situation there because you have to have some aspect in our offense in this swag because mm-hmm. Texas Southern can score. Um, Jackson State can score. Um, Grambling with Hugh Jackson. Hopefully they can score. A lot of guys can score in this conference. So if you struggle to put the football on the end zone, things will get ugly real quick. Do you feel like that's the most important thing they have to figure out there? Absolutely. The quarterback position is, is man, listen, that's the first thing you need to figure out. Cause if you ain't got no quarterback, you don't got a team. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, and you're losing Ezra Gray as well. So you're not, you don't have, and I like Ja'Cory Merritt, but you know, that was like a two back system style that they were running Ezra being the, the break it home back. And then Ja'Cory between the tackles type guy. So for me, I didn't, I like miles. I, I think what miles did against um, Crawley, what Crawley did against Jackson state was phenomenal, but <clears throat> he makes a couple, he hits a couple passes in that game. It's a different, it's a different game. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Joe Owens, what he did against fam. You, he was, he was the only guy that got him across the 50. You know what I'm saying? So it, I, I, if I'm being honest to me, it's Ryan Nettles shouldn't even be in the picture. Shouldn't even be in the conversation because you had multiple chances to win the position and you kept dropping the ball. So for me, it is Joe Owens and Miles Crawley's job to lose and whoever I bring in after that. But uh, I'm sorry. And, and the thing about Ryan, he has all the measurables. The boy's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, you know, he can throw it, but he just, his decision-making, man, it just it, it baffles me sometimes. just does. Yeah, Nettles was never the same when he got knocked out in the SWAT championship game in the spring. After that, he comes back. Yeah, he comes back and he's never really the same. And so now it opens up this quarterback carousel. I was I was there to see Crawley play against Jackson State. Drops really hurt him, but he can throw the football pretty naturally. I uh, haven't seen a lot about Joe Owens, but I think Crawley and Owens are going to be the guys. And they have to figure that out ASAP. And I think mm-hmm. maybe you can get away with it against Howard in the MEAC SWAT Challenge in Atlanta by trying out and figuring out who's going to be the guy. But over time, they got to figure out who's the person there. Um, Ursa Davis, before we pivot, uh, he's a stud. Carlson Davis is a younger brother. Um, whoever is going to be the DC is going to get a versatile player. Um, on PFF, they kind of went in depth on what he brings to the table as a talent. Uh, he lined up everywhere in the slot 100 times at free safety, 215, in the box at 257. He had three sacks, three picks, 28 defensive stops. What have you seen from him on film that makes you think, wow, he could be a pro in the next two years? Man, the thing with him, and the only thing I'm scared about is his height. His height is the only thing that keeps him in my mind that keeps him from me. If he was 5'11", six foot, if he was six foot, six one, automatic pro. Because the intensity in which he plays, listen, the first time I saw him play was against, um, it was against Southern. Yeah, it was the Southern spring game, Southern Alabama State spring game. And I could, I'm like, yo, who is this guy? Like, he was just showing up everywhere. He was like a freaking missile. And when he's around the line of scrimmage, he's a freaking problem. So, Urshad Davis is that guy. I called him and Bubba, Ebony and Ivory, because they are just, they are the catalysts for that defense. And if Bubba was healthy, Urshad, I mean, they're losing Christian Clark, but man, Urshad Davis, man, I wish that kid was 5'11, six foot, because to me, he's like a dark-skinned Tyron Matthew, but just doesn't do punt return. Like, if I'm being real, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what he reminds me of, a dark-skinned Tyron Matthew, because he's just so versatile, and he's so aggressive. You know what I'm saying? But it's his height, man. I think it's, what, 5'8", 5'9", 
You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it, that's hard. I mean, you got to be Bob Sanders was the only guy I could think about doing it that big at that level, but he was stock. So, yeah, that's the only thing that stops for me, Urshad Davis, from being a pro, but he's amazing. He's purely amazing. Yeah, anytime PFF says you have like a 74 coverage grade and a 74 run defense, that means you do it both of you can run support and can cover. Height is an issue, 5'9". That's tough. I mean, you hope he could be a slot, but like you said, Bob Sanders, the only guy at that size that survived. And he didn't survive very long. His prime was great, but yeah. that was it. He was come and go. Up next for preview, um, they got a new head coach as well, Bubba McDowell. They stayed in-house when um, you know, they lost Dooley to Southern. Um, defensively, they're gonna be okay in terms of you know, uh Drake Cheatham and Jason Dumas, they're coming back. They were outstanding last season. They made a ton of plays. Dumas is incredible. I just wish that he wasn't 5'11, 230. Like he <laughs> There's no way I could see him playing D-tackle at the pro level at that size, but he was one of the high, highest pressure-graded people on the team. He even did his thing against Texas A&M. He had seven hurries. And so when you're a guy like him that dominates at the FCS level, what do you look like against FBS talent? And he did that. The biggest question mark with Prairie View, Scotty, is the offense. Juwan Pass is gone, and that error ended ugly because he didn't play particularly well to end the year. Mm-hmm. It looks like so far, going off of who they're recruiting and who they're probably trusting, CJ Dumas, the freshman potentially from KE, Texas, that looks like he's going to be their quarterback. Um, I don't know if you've seen a lot of him. I saw a little bit of him. He's a much natural throw of the football than Jawan Pass. But, you know, starting a freshman in college is tough, especially at the quarterback position. What, and we know McDowell, you know, defensive player, more of a defensive minded guy. Um, what, identity do you think he should lean on offensively as you know they try to get up to speed to that experienced defense which is coming back next season run the ball because they have a stable of backs they have a if if Dooley didn't take them when he left but them Bama's got a stable of backs I was so mad when Ladinian Brooks wasn't coming back I was I wish he had one more year because he's special I call him baby Alvin Kamara but um my thing is CJ Dumas that he didn't play in the SWAC championship, did he? That wasn't the same guy because the guy who played in the SWAC championship that was a backup, he was awful. He he wasn't good. No, CJ Dumas, uh, he just um he just finished recently. Um he was at Katy, Texas. They won the state okay. championship classic. Say so he okay. he's a, he's gonna be a raw true freshman. He's not on the roster. Oh. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, cool, Because I'm gonna say that kid they had paying Jack, they need to let him go. He need to play tight end or something because yeah, quarterback was not for him. Um, but you know, it's, 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 you know, once again, when a young quarterback, you have to have a solid run game. And I think Jackson state was able to get away with because of the defense that they had, that they weren't worried about too many teams getting out of control and scoring a lot of points on them. Um, so that was Shador's benefit that he only really had to score 21 points to win the game. And however they got that 21, it could be, it didn't matter. So I think with, uh, with teams that aren't able to, kind of build that type of defense you have to be able to run the ball slow the game down you know let your quarterback get comfortable with easy reads and things like that so um run the ball and he's a defensive minded guy so you know defensive coaches always believe in you know running the ball and defense travels type situation for sure uh Jaden Stewart was the guy who was a part of that system with Ladimian Brooks he's coming back 82.0 rushing grade he's going to be the future guy they for sure need to ride him early and often previews in a tough spot quarterback got to figure that out wide receiver they're losing a lot of wide receivers so they got to figure out that aspect so the passing game will be a slow work in progress throughout the offseason and 
their schedule is not easy either. Abilene, Christian, and Incarnate Word. Those are their first two games. You got to go at oh. Abilene, and then Incarnate Word comes to them. So that's something you got to figure out as well. Well, last Incarnate one, Word. And kind of where it goes the PV goes goes the PV. So wow. yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. So there's that aspect as well. Southern, you know, Eric Dewey is not a coach of Southern, um, and they're in a unique spot as well. They got to figure out their quarterback situation. I don't, I haven't heard anything yet. I, I guess Bubba McDaniel is going to be the guy again until further notice. I really like Kobe Dillon, um, and and it looks like he's going to be the guy. So I, I think that's something they could build on defensively. Uh, most of the defensive guys are coming back, including the Buckets winner. He's back as well. Now, a huge thing, Scotty, you were you were preaching this in the spring. Southern's offensive line is incredible, and they're losing a lot of guys. Uh, the the best guy, Jatire Carter, he's going to be in the Senior Bowl. He had a phenomenal pass blocking grade on PFF, like ninety something overall, ninety one point four. He gave up two total pressures all year. So there, yeah, two two total pressures all year. So they're losing him. They're losing some other guys on that offensive line. So they got to rebuild that. What mm-hmm. Dooley had at Prairie View was staple of backs. I think that continues. Southern man, Grambling's building a monster. So you always got to be able to compete against them. Is there any hope? You have any hope that Dooley can turn this thing around in about two to three years to where Southern's competitive? Or are they just going to be mediocre and underwhelming to the chagrin of Southern fans? I think, I think, you know, a lot of Southern fans are going to find this shocking, but I think they're going to be competing more than Grambling is. And this is why I say that because one, Dooley knows what he has. Hugh doesn't know what he has. He's just, he's just getting, he's he's getting a collect, he's getting an influx of talent, but hasn't seen anything produced on the field. Now, Gremlin's defense is legit. So he didn't really have to tinker with that a lot, but his offense, everything is going to be brand new. You know what I'm saying? So he doesn't know who going to show up, who's the ballers, who the playmakers are. Dooley can look at film of last year and say, he's a baller. He's not a baller. So if we're being honest, the only thing Dooley really has to tweak is the quarterback position, the wide receivers, and the DBs, those are his three. Like, like to me, those would be the top three things you really had to tweak, like, and make them a one. Um, I like Brashawn McCrary. I think he's a great runner of the ball. As uh, his his passing is, it's sufficient, but I think he's a better runner of the football. So RPO, be look, be on the lookout for that. They have a stable of backs: Kobe Dillon, Gerard Sims, and you in you in New Orleans, Baton Rouge. You can point and throw a rock and hit a running back. So that's too easy. So you're going to make it good. Now, the wide receiver position, they had no playmakers at that position last year. It was god-awful. So to me, that's what I'm going to be looking for going into next year. Do they have playmakers? Do they have guys that can take the top off? Do they have some guys that you can throw a five-yard hitch and get 10 or 15 more yards? That's the key. But I would actually, as of right now, say that Southern is the better team than Grambling off of what I've seen and know that what they have coming back, as well as I know what they already have on that team. Yeah, Dooley's going to come in this year. He's not going to be – it won't be his class. So this year is going to be left over from the prior regime. Regime. So it's really going to come down to how can he scheme up this year um, guys that kind of coexist within his system that used to play in other guys' system as well. Passing-wise, they got to figure that out. The weapons, you stated that best. They didn't have playmakers out there. I think running back-wise, they'll be fine. Louisiana, they said the reason why they got him is he could recruit the state of Louisiana. Over time, that's going to have to show. 
because it looks like Q is going to continue to dabble into that California pipeline, which means you have no excuse to get high quality talent from the state of Louisiana or even some gyms and kind of incorporate them to within your team. And look, man, Dooley, look, you made it work with Jawan Pass, who is not a good passer. You made him look for at least eight weeks competent. So if you can get a guy in there that's a much natural thrower than he is and surrounded with those weapons, Southern will be on its way. Um, a couple more things. We're not going to go in depth with the, the bowl stuff. So what I'm going to allow Scotty and me to do is we're going to touch base on a player. So I'll go first. Guy I'm really interested in seeing perform really well is Marquise Bell. You know, Marquise Bell reminds me a lot of C.J. Gardner-Johnson. He's versatile. I don't think he does anything sound. So, I, you know, I think if you draft him to be your free safety, to be a center fielder, I don't think that's smart. But if you get him to kind of be a box safety, a slot guy, because he's physical, he can tackle, he's aggressive, he's around the ball, he's going to make plays like a Gardner-Johnson, it works perfectly. And I thought his coming out game was against Southeastern Louisiana. The team got killed, but him and Kohler were the best players on the field, in my opinion, for FAMU. They were always around the ball. They made plays. They weren't afraid for the moment. And that worked out for him as well. Um, He's going to be in the NFL PA Bowl and the East-West Shrine game. He's doing both. So I'm gonna. It's gonna be interesting to see how he looks in one-on-one reps, and if he look, all he has to do is dominate in his reps, make impacts in those games. He's gonna be a, a second, third-round pick easy because really? the tape. I think, in my opinion, yeah, the tape is there. Um, he makes impactful plays. The buzz is, is around. Um, and you can, after seeing what Gardner Johnson has been able to do in the league, you want a safety like that that can kind of just do it all. Those. Mm-hmm don't come cheap they're rare and he can be that type of player at the pro level i don't know what team would want him but um i think he could be that type of player as an nfl player what's your guy you're looking out for uh you know i'm I'm gonna go against the grain i'm a rebel i'm gonna give you two a quill glass all right because where the league is going with more quarterback mobility he's going to have to show scouts why are we getting you he ha- like he has to be so accurate and so good in how he reads and goes through his progressions and puts up uh puts the ball in the air to make them say, you know what, you're just too good to leave on the shelf. Because if not, you're gonna get left on the shelf because of your lack of mobility. And the next player is James Houston. James Houston, and the reason I say this is because he's a tweener. You don't like he's he he made his money off tape as a DN but he is a technically a linebacker, but he can't cover. He's not very good at covering in space. That's why he went to Jackson State to work on that. They didn't put him there. So now seeing what, how the NFL PA bowl, or I think he's in the East West Shrine. I think he's in both bowls as well. I think he's in both bowls as well. I think if um, seeing how he covers and then seeing how he is as a, a DN, I think if I'm being honest, I think he could be a Elvis Dumerville. And if anybody doesn't know who Elvis Dumerville is, he was an undersized DN and dominated for a three or four year span. I think James Houston can play that role. And especially since the game is becoming more spread, I think he can become an asset. He might have to get a little bit more stiff, you know, to hold up on those tackles. But I definitely think he could be an Elvis Dumerville type. Yeah, those two guys were actually on there for me uh, with a kill. I'm going to just list off his PFF grades. They were crazy. Um, highest PFF passing grade in a swag, 91.5. His deep throw rating passing grade was 99.4. 12 touchdowns, no picks. Um, intermediate game, eight touchdowns to one interception, 85.0 passing grade. In my opinion, 
He's a poor man's Joe Burrow. Now, here's the problem. Burrow, Burrow is mobile, more mobile than a quill. That's that's my only issue with a quill. Um, he has he, he has the arm strength. Well, his arm strength isn't Wowzers, but he, it's NFL caliber. He can make yeah. all the throws. It just comes down to under duress. How will he fare? And he's not elusive, so he gets a little gunshot and a little erratic. So I think if he could find a way to work on his foot speed, get a little bit more slimmer, slimmer rather, improve his 40-yard dash. I mean, you don't have to be burrow with it, but Brady's elusive enough to where you can, like, elude a rush, buy yourself time, that'll yeah. be fine. James Houston, you hit it on a nail. I actually thought Robert Quinn. Now, Robert Quinn is two inches okay. taller but they're around the same pounds. And so I feel like with Houston, I agree, he's a DN. And so what he's probably got to do is he's going to have to gain. He's going to be bigger than 225. He's going to be 240. But I say he's Quinn because Quinn has relentless motor. And Quinn can get it done as a pass rusher, and he can get it done as a run defender. Houston's run defense grade was 82.0 this past year. It's crazy. Um, that's something that you can't replicate. And I, the reason why Quinn is still playing at a high level, he just you know had a 14-and-a-half sack campaign with the Bears – it's because he got that relentless motor. He might not have that speed and that bend that he used to have when he was younger, but he could still get after it. And then another right. guy kind of brought him up a little bit, Jatire Carter, made from a lab. I mean, the stats say what he is. If he can hold his own against Big Ten, Pac-12, SEC caliber lineman, he's going to top four. He could be first round. Because what the NFL draft has shown, they have no problem getting swat cats in the first round at tackle. They don't. They don't care. If you can block, yeah. You can block. You block. So last but not least, we're gonna wrap it up. Scotty, it's great. Always great having you on. Um, you. Big, big question is, what's next for off script? I mean, you you've been killing it so far. I, I know every day it's like you're trying to match yourself every day. Every day it's a new task. Every day it's a new journey. Um, at this point, uh, you you the face of the of the swag moving on YouTube. So where are you trying to go with this? Um, long term moving forward. Man, that's a that's a great question, uh, Cam. Um, and if I'm being if I'm being 100 real with you, because you're my guy, I don't even think that far ahead. And it's, it's that's the problem with me. I'm so in the moment that it's so hard to like. You know, if if it wasn't for my girl, she's kind of the visionary. You know, she wants to. You know, she she brought up you know entertainment industry. You know, off screen entertainment, just like kind of being a media company. Uh, you know, in the in the further future. But right now, man, it's it's kind of it's, I'm trying to move over to the little bit of MIAC, trying to get into swag basketball. I'm trying to I'm trying to grow the brand that way, bring on some people that like I can bring underneath off script to have their own show, but still be underneath the brand. It's a lot of moving parts that's coming to this thing. But, you know, as of right now, man, it is just to dominate. You know what I'm saying? It's it's to dominate and find a way to keep interacting with my with my supporters and my subscribers. That's the biggest thing for me. And, and it's just building a, com- a a real community and not like this fake YouTube community. But like, oh, my. no, I'm talking about people who have who have like if you have a son or daughter that has a fundraiser. Send it to me. I'll put it on the channel and we can and let's make her the number one fundraising girl on the block. You know, like that type of community to where it really feels like, you know, we here to have fun. I joke, I clown, I troll, I'm petty. But at the same time, 
I want the people watching me to win as much as I want myself to win. You know what I'm saying? And I want to give back to them for giving them their hour, hour and a half to watch me and, you know, to, to, you know, have them feel like, you know what, I, I got something or I feel like I was involved in something or I was, it's bigger than me. So those type of situations, but man, you know, I'm just trying to grow, man. Uh, and, and trying to take it to big things. And if anybody got some suggestions out there, please, please help me, you know, I'll take some ideas. I am not, I'm not that unapproachable. Trust me. I'll, I'll take some ideas. The, the off script media company aspect. That's dope because what I've seen on the YouTube circuit, that's what Cowherd is doing with volume. It's basically, he's created a channel where he does his podcast and he has other guys under him that also do podcast oriented stuff around different things. So that's a nice vision that you have there. Um, I, I think long-term uh, I know you, I know you speaking for, you know, you spoke for yourself. Now I'm kind of speaking for you a little bit. Uh, the sky's the limit because now you're including athletes and individuals that work for ESPN or they cover like sweat content for a living for Sports Illustrated. So now you're opening yourself to kind of that corporate landscape, that real interaction with the players. And I think that just opens it up. And so really big. Look, the thing I admire about you is. um, Yes, like a lot of people when Dion came into the picture. You rode the Dion wave, but now what you're doing is you're making it more than just about Jackson State. You incorporate everybody, and I think that's kind of the the missing link for a few channels that I've like perused a little bit. It's still like Dion centric, and it's like that's cool, but eventually Dion is going to leave, and so once he leaves, will your time in the sun die? And I feel like in your situation, yours won't because you're immersing yourself with all of these programs that are HBCU related, and because of that. When that they're not going to they're not going to go nowhere. Uh, it might be a new face, but that institution is still going to be there. That's going to keep you within that plug. And that's going to allow you to grow your product even more. I mean, you got a million views right now on YouTube. It's ever so growing. And I can see, man, like a three, four year stretch. You the face on YouTube, HBCU sports like you that guy. And they, they look towards you towards it now. And I think people in due time will be like, man, like I remember Scotty was like here and now he here. It just brings a whole different dimension. So I really can't wait to, you know, stay tuned and be a part of it. Let me tell you this, though, bro. Let me tell you this real talk. Uh, But the funny thing is, is when people see me, you know, uh, (laughs) because, you know, I'll be out here. I'll be out here. Listen, no, no security. No, no, I'll be at these games and people see me and they like, you know, they come up to me and, you know, and they just like, yo, like I watch your show. And that's that is the most humbling experience bro like real talk is like when people come up to me and they say man i love your show i watch it with my son you know me and my wife watch it together you're entertaining you're this you're that that is probably the most humble experience in the whole factor of it because it's like you know at when i first started i i didn't i was okay to just have 100 views you know what i'm saying in a week or whatever but now you know it's really a lot of people you know it's part of their day you know what I'm saying? Like people really come home and like, yo, did Scotty do something? Or they reach out to me and people reach out to me and say, hey, did you do something? Are you doing a show today? Are you? Those type of situations, man. So I'm I'm grateful and blessed to be a part of the culture. I'm loving the culture. I can't wait for my kids to grow up in it, like me and infuse my kids into this so they understand the culture, man. And I appreciate you, Cam, for bringing me on your platform, man. And, you know, and, and rocking with me and, you know, being my PFF plug, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, stuff like that, man. So I I, I pray and I, and I pray and I ask God, you know, I, well, I don't really pray my girl pre-plan. I tell her to ask God for me. But, 
because it's gonna go. It's she gonna she gonna talk to the guy. So I just I say it keeps going and keep growing, man, and, and it keeps keeps the energy. Yeah, man. Hey, sky's the limit. Uh, I'm one of your biggest supporters, man. Got a lot of people rocking for you. So, uh, hey, it's gonna it's gonna be up from here, man. You are gonna keep evolving, and also, hey, hey, I mean, hey. If if we able to find a way to collab and find a consistent thing on your thing as well on your front, I'm down for that too. Cause the draft is coming up. I'm gonna be immersed into that. And so we could have a whole segment where it's like HBCU draft prospects and we can go end up there and there and go from there. But um uh hey man, Scott and Lemon, I'm I'm your biggest supporter, man. So when you do well, that's good for me. Just like you know, when I do well, that's good for you. So uh big blessings, man. Big blessings. So hey man, thank you. Hey, no problem. So with that, it's the end of episode 41. But before I go, I'm going to let Scotty, uh, you know, give out his thanks and appreciation and, you know, for being on the segment and what he's looking forward to, you know what I'm saying, in the coming days. But before I do, last time, a um, couple times when you've been on, you've talked about how you're in school. What are you in school for? I know you do the YouTube thing and you've talked about how you're in school. Does it have anything to do with you know, you trying to elevate your YouTube content or is that just like a side educational hustle you got? Like, I'm trying to get that degree before so, you, know, you transition to the next. So when I when I first started, because I'm now I'm a full time YouTuber. So when I first started, um, I wasn't a full time YouTuber. I worked in the IT industry, so I was going to get my security plus. So when I said I was in school, I was going to security plus, And then after that, I went for a cloud technician. I was trying to become like Amazon Warrior, you know, Amazon Warehouse Cloud Technic, AWS. I was trying to get my AWS certification. That jack was kicking my butt. So in the process of going for that, I became a full-time YouTuber, kind of stepped back from that, kind of been pushing it into the creative lane of just trying to focus on, you know, being creative and, and, and getting better at my craft. All right, man. So that's that's always good. Um, I've heard a story like that before. Um, a guy I watched on YouTube, Flimlo Raps. He did not, he used to be a... um. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but basically like retail, retail guy. So that used to be his thing. And then he slowly but surely became full time on YouTube. And now he's got 800K subscribers. So similar yeah, story. That's oh, yeah. I like yeah. too. So similar story. That's dope. That's dope. That's dope indeed. But floor is yours, man. Talk about what you're looking forward to um, look at this weekend. I know we got some big games coming up. Eventually, football will be over. Uh, NBA is still out there in the horizon. You're going to be immersed in the net. So just talk about uh, what you're looking forward towards in the weeks to come. In the sports world, uh, a lot of people I, I have the Bengals winning. Uh, a lot of people don't I have the Bengals and the Rams in the Super Bowl. That is my pick. You heard it here first. Um, I had I, and I said that from the beginning. I felt that Bengals had the firepower to go toe for toe with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and I think, man, listen, Joe Burrow, like, don't get me wrong. I love Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, if I'm being honest, his moxie comes from his play. Joe Burrow is just moxie. He just, he, he's just, he's just that. If I can say the N word, he's just that guy. I'm like, that's, that's really just that guy. So I, I, and I've, I just, I absolutely love Joe Burrow. So I'm, I'm, I'm going with Joe Cool. So that's my pick for that. Um, you know, swag basketball is coming up, swag tournaments coming up, basketball tournament be coming up pretty soon. So getting into that. And then, um, like you said, man, uh, signing day. Next Wednesday, me and Blue doing an all-day signing day thing. So it's going to be crazy, man. This next couple of weeks in Black History Month as well. So it's going to be crazy, man. So I'm excited. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dope times. Dope times ahead. Signing day is coming up. So we're going to always tune in to you and Blue talking about that aspect. As for the Bengals winning, you know, here's the problem. Their offensive line is horrible. If they had a better offensive line, 
I'd be I'd be on the bandwagon that everybody else is on, but I feel like a lot of it is driven by Cash just want Mahomes to lose, and that's fine. I'm just saying, pick that in a better matchup. Like if they play the Rams, that's probably the best case scenario because the Rams have the front and the offensive firepower. My issue with Cincy is the defensive line isn't what it used to be because Hendrickson's hurt, Ogunjobi's compromised, so they don't get that push within their front four like that. You can run on them, and then on the offensive side. We know Spags is going to double chase, man up everybody else, and then eventually, like Tennessee did, send an extra blitzer on the right side of that offensive line because the right side is the weakest link. And Burrow, mm-hmm. he, he's cool as a cucumber. He can throw – like, his throw under pressure rating got to be, like, 99. Like, he, he can do all that. The problem is he's not elusive, so – and he forces the issue, and he hangs on to the ball too long. And a lot of that has to do with the passing concepts. And I, I think the other aspect has to do with he's trying to make the big play because he knows my O-line sucks. So I got to, like, get this ball out quick or yeah. else our offensive put aspect is, you know, not maximized. But um, always great to have you on, Scotty. Um, always great to talk sports with you. Um, this is going to drop, obviously, later tonight. So I'm put it out there and, uh, you, know, collab- you know, do the collaboration on IG, go from there. Uh, I'll be back next week, guys, for episode 42. Uh, stay tuned. Um, and also stay tuned to my boy Scotty. Man, he's always on YouTube almost every day. Uh, I like I stated before, I got him a little connect with a PFF guy. So that draft aspect when that comes, doing tuning for that as well. And um, I'm gonna see you guys next week. Holla at me. Peace. Peace.